everybody, welcome to the X Report. And most importantly, it's the most wonderful time of the year. It is officially week one of the NFL season. College football is in full swing. It's a beautiful day to be a sports fan. I, Raven X, and alongside me as always is my tag team partner, co-host Biggie, a.k.a. Ethan Tate, a.k.a. I don't know your thoughts on it, but honestly, I'm kind of salty that Memphis wasn't invited to the Big 12. Yeah, and kind of speaking on, you know, the latest draft, I mean, uh, recruiting class, I want to say this is the second in time in three to four years that Memphis has had the top recruiting class. To be fair, have they parlayed much success out of it? Not exactly, but, I mean, that should go into some consideration. I'm pretty salty about it, especially just because you mentioned, like, just the upwards trajectory, excluding maybe um, UCF. I would say that Memphis has been, like, one of the better teams as compared to a BYU or Cincinnati or the other team that got invited. But, I mean, it's whatever. Hopefully Memphis can get moved up because, honestly, with all the really competitive teams in the American getting taken out, I feel like people are going to try to use that as a thing to hold against Memphis. But it is what it is. Like I mentioned earlier, it is week one. So we got season award and Super Bowl predictions on tap. That's going to be fun. We are going to talk a potential trade that possibly could change the landscape of the NBA, a la Paul Pierce going to the Mavs. Would the Mavs have won a championship? And then we are going to close out today's show by talking about Mark Gasol after his recent trade to the Mar- to the Memphis Grizzlies. It's time to decide if his career is over. But before we get to any of that, be sure to check out thexreport.net. I repeat, thexreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow X Report writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast on our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Now, as we do with every football season, we got to show love to the next generation of football players. And so to kick off this week's show, we are going to talk our college football player spotlight. And this week, I am putting the spotlight on LSU junior cornerback Derek Stingley Jr. He's widely considered to be the best cornerback in the nation and continues to show that day in and day out. And, I mean, a lot of hype has been surrounding him, even so much so to be projected as a top five pick. Ethan. I know the NFL season, we haven't even seen every team step to the plate, but what team do you think should continue to keep a big eye on Stingley this year? Charge of Biscuits tonight and um, Marvin Jones. But what they don't. 
I'll score and run up the score because I don't think they'll be able to stop anybody. And I mean, if you add in a top corner, first off just next, first off Jack and Trevor Lawrence, I think that's a good sign for the future. As bad as I want to say Atlanta, I do think that Atlanta is going to be drafting pretty high, but their focus is going to be getting their quarterback of the future. So I'm going to go with the team that just drafted their quarterback of the future, and I'm going to say the New York Jets. Um, similar to the Jags, they have really spent this offseason rebuilding their team, um, making um, really solid moves to kind of turn the tide of the traditional Jets that we've seen for the past 10 plus years. Uh, with that being said, one position they really haven't put too much stock in has been cornerback, which is interesting considering Robert Sala being a defensive-minded coach. But I do think that Derek Singley can come into that group and become their number one corner, as well as really kind of help turn the tide for this new look uh, New York Jets defense that we are starting to see. But all right, let's go ahead and look at some contract extensions, league transactions, all that goodness. So starting off in the big easy, New Orleans secondary has been a big topic of conversation. And with week one game just days away, they've started to make some moves. The first of which was working out and signing cornerback Desmond Trufant. They also made a trade to get Bradley Roby, a former cornerback for the Houston Texans in tow. They traded um, him for a 2022 third round pick and a conditional pick in 2023. The Texans paid uh, Roby $7 million salary and the Saints only have to pay $1.8 million this year. Overall, how do you like the additions for the Saints? Um, I think it's a good move. I think given the lack of depth that they had in corner to begin with, any signing that they made would be an upgrade. Um, Roby, he he is a starting caliber corner in my opinion. He's not the best starting caliber corner, but he's definitely a guy that you can place that corner to, and he can make a couple plays. Desmond Trufant, um, is he the one that played for Atlanta? Yep, Atlanta spent a spent this past year with the uh, Lions. The Bears, right? I was lying. And then he was signed to the Bears, but they waived him. Yeah, I think that it's definitely um, a step up. I know when we talked about breaking down the NFC South, I mentioned Paulson Adebo, who was was a rookie I was really watching. But, I mean, you can never have too many bodies. Yes, Marshawn Lattimore is number one, but at cornerback you have to have depth, especially in the NFC South where you know every team is going to try to sling it. So I do like these moves, and I do think that they're nice um, moves, at least for the time being. I mean, of course, you still got to figure out some contract stuff with regards to Marshawn Lattimore past this season. But overall, I do think that the Saints are making some solid additions. Will that help them week one? We'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Speaking of, let's talk my favorite team, who on the one hand, we did a good thing. We were able to re-sign. Uh, my main man, tight end, Mark Andrews, to a four-year, $56 million extension. Hooray for us. And then I don't know who we pissed off, but uh, injuries have been coming out the wazoo. Running backs Justice Hill and Gus Edwards, particularly Edwards, who was supposed to be the lead back this off this season, have torn their ACLs. And then on the very next 
play after Edwards tears his ACL. Cornerback Marcus Peters tore his ACL as well. Needless to say, we heard it over here in Baltimore. But that does not mean that they have not already made some moves. Um, of course, one of the most popular moves was signing Le'Veon Bell to the practice squad. But let's be honest, he's not going to be on there that long. We also signed Trenton Cannon, another journeyman cornerback. And most recently signed Latavius Murray after he was waived by New Orleans. So, Ethan, in your opinion, who do you think finishes the year with more rushing yards? Latavius Murray or Le'Veon Bell? I'm definitely going with Latavius. Just simply put, he he showed last year that he's still like productive player. Remember he said yard funny. He's been in the past. Like he has his own to be a guy that can really be that force. Um Yeah, keep going. But yeah, um, I think they're going to have Latavius Murray as the first and second down guy, then bring in Le'Veon as the third down pass kitchen. Yeah, so. I think it's tough because I do think that they also really like what they see in uh, Tyson Williams, and I'm interested to see what he can do as well. Um, but between these two guys, I'm, I'm kind of conflicted. While I could definitely see Latavius Murray getting more reps as the, you know, the early downs, I could see Le'Veon Bell also. I will say this. Our offensive line is set up in a similar manner to the one that he had in Pittsburgh. And in no way am I saying is he going to go back to being Pittsburgh Le'Veon. But I do think it will create a lot of opportunities for him to see um, a lot more yards than he had when he was with New York or when he was playing in Kansas City. So I think, but I, in terms of rushing yards purely, I'm going to go Latavius Murray, but I think all encompassing from receiving yards and everything, I think Le'Veon Bell is going to take the cake. But all right, I know that we were so excited about week one, but we are recording this after the Thursday night game um, between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Dallas Cowboys. We'll talk about that more in depth in a bit, but let's talk about some Amari Cooper. Um, prior to the game, um, he said in a recent interview, I think I'm the best receiver in the league. Um, it's a difference between it's a difference between thinking that you're the best and actually going out there and proving it. Do I think I'm the best? Yes. Have I proven it? I wouldn't say I have. So based off the performance that he had this past week, um, I think he had 135 yards and two touchdowns. Overall, had a really good game. Where would you rank Amari Cooper among the league's wide receivers? Um, I would rank him somewhere between top 10 to top 12. I think, and the reason I'm saying this is, I feel like there are a lot of great receivers, but it's certain one. Like, you, I can't put him in number one because in my opinion, the number one spot it's solidified by either Devontae Adams or um, DeAndre Hopkins, depending on who you ask. I think those are foregone conclusions is the thoughts of the best wide receivers. Then, you know, you still have guys like Julio, who, yes, he's long in the tooth, but he's still a very productive player. I would say maybe 11. I have him, like, right outside the top 10. I would agree with that. I couldn't put him in the top 10 either. I think that while, you know, being in Dallas has really helped out Amari Cooper in terms of being a consistent player. I think a reason why when we talk, you know, the top guys in the league, we don't really talk about Amari because he's not necessarily the most explosive or the most fun one to watch. 
Because while he will have games like Thursday where he racks up a lot of yards, usually like he's not going to be somebody that's going to burn a DB downfield or he's not going to just, you know, break off for big plays, big chunk plays that often. He's a great route runner, but even in terms of route running, I wouldn't necessarily call him the top guy. He might He'd probably be maybe top six in terms of route running at best, maybe top five. But then you have guys like a Devontae Adams or a Keenan Allen or a Stephon Diggs who I would put ahead of him. And so I think that's the thing with Amari Cooper, which kind of gets him overlooked in terms of not being considered one of those top guys. But definitely between that top 10 to top 13 is really his sweet spot. But, I mean, if he keeps putting on performances like he did against the Bucks, then, I mean, It'll be a hard time to deny him being much higher. But all right, let's talk my main man, Jamar Chase, fellow wide receiver, and of course, graduate of NFLSU. Well, he has not necessarily had the best preseason, um, and he was very candid about it. He talked about his preseason drops as well as the differences between the balls and said, the ball is different because it's bigger. It doesn't have the white stripes on the side, so you can't see the ball coming from the tip point. So you actually have to look for the strings on the ball at the top, which is hard to see because the whole ball is brown. And you have the six strings that are white. But for the most part, just have to get used to it and find out what I am comfortable with catching. So I'm sure being on social media, you've seen memes about Jamar Chase dropping balls, not necessarily having the best, um, I guess, best performances out of the rookies. Are you worried about him, or do you think that he'll get it together as the rookie year goes on? I think he definitely will get it together. I think one of the things that I attribute with Jamar Chase as far as differentiates him from a lot of the other rookie receivers is he set out for the whole year. Yeah. And these other guys that continue to play, he set out, and I think that he, I'm not going to say he's facing a bigger learning curve because he, I think he is facing a, a substantial curve in the fact of, like, he was away from football for a year. Yeah. Like, yes, he worked out. Yes, he, you know, got ready for the comp, got ready for the draft and things of that nature. But these guys were still playing. They were in the, they were in season. They were catching balls from quarterbacks, and he wasn't. And I think for him, like, even though, yes, he's an amazing talent, just think of it like this. If you were to take a year off from your job and then they ask you to come back in and perform to a substantial, a great, a great level, will you really be able to do it? A lot of people know, regardless of what you do. So I think he, he's just getting his feet wet, especially after not playing football for a whole year and uh, – sad part of it is he's doing this against the best players in the world, like top level talent. Yeah, I agree. Like, I think that also something else that kind of benefits him is he does have that chemistry with Joe Burrow. I mean, we saw the magic that they made together at LSU, and I think that now, to be fair, it'd be ridiculous to assume that immediate connection to hit as soon as they stepped on the NFL field together. But I do think that because of that relationship, that it'll help him get over that rust that he had from not playing sooner than people would expect. And not to mention, it's not like the Bengals are, like, dying if he can't make, you know, plays. They still have T. Higgins there. Auden Tate has been really solid for them, as well as Tyler Boyd, who was one of the better slot receivers in the league. So, overall, the Bengals' offense is a nice set, but it's 
play a player like um, Jamar Chase who can really get him over the hump. And I think that he can be that guy. It's just going to take some time because you made a really good point, like I said, about sitting out the 2020 season. He had a hell of a 2019 campaign and had great workouts leading up to the draft. But still, you got to take time to get back in the swing of things. Practice is one thing, but live action is another. So I'm excited to see how he can adjust. But I think that people are, you know, I think they're losing their minds a bit and really just ignoring the type of talent that he is just because of a couple mistakes. If he had these same problems like in the regular season and it was like a prolonged thing, then yeah, I would worry. But if it's just from time to time in the preseason where he only sees maybe what, two drives on average a game, I'm not losing too much sleep over it. But all right, let's go ahead and talk C.J. Mosley. Missed the past two years. First year he uh, missed was due to injury, and this past year sat out due to COVID. Well, he still sees himself as a top linebacker. In fact, uh, according to him, he is still top five. I'm not going to waste your time having us both say that we don't think that he's top five. But, Ethan, would you still consider C.J. Mosley an elite linebacker, or do you expect him to be more average this upcoming season? Uh, I'm not going to say that I consider him a lead linebacker, or I'm going to say that I think he's going to be average. My take on it is, did you not have to let your players do the talking? Like, bro, you missed two years, and you're saying, like, you're coming back for one, two years. two years, the NFL has changed so much. Like, as far as, like, team structure, even rules are different. And you're expecting to come back and say like you're a top five linebacker, like you have to prove that you got you have guys like Bobby Wagner, Darren White, Darius Leonard. These guys have been in the thick of it in the trenches and you can't just come in and take their top spot. One of the top spots. So you gotta prove it to me. I'd agree with that, especially because you mentioned with Jamar Chase taking a year off. Well he took two. And I think, as weird as it sounds, now because there's a different regime, maybe it helps out that he didn't play because it's not like he has to learn a whole new playbook or a whole new role um, as compared to what he just had to learn. So I guess there's that. But, yeah, I mean, like, in his best days with Baltimore, even top five may have been a bit of a reach. He was a hell of a linebacker in Baltimore, but still, that's asking for a lot. And so to expect to be considered that high, especially with the influx of talent at linebacker right now, I think it's more so laughable. But, I mean, he has a perfect opportunity to really showcase himself. I mean, we saw what a player of, like, Fred Warner's capabilities were able to do in a Robert Sala defense. And who's to say C.J. Mosley can't thrive in that same role? While I don't think he's as good at coverage as uh, Fred Warner is, I mean, he is still a very strong tackler, particularly in the run game. And I think that that would be a great way for him to elevate his stock and showcase that he's still a top guy. But realistically right now, I don't think that's the move. Uh, But speaking of moves, Cam Newton, we talked about it last week, was released by uh, the New England Patriots and in an interview on Friday went in depth about the move and this is what he had to say 
The reason why they released me is because indirectly I was going to be a distraction without being the starter. Just my aura. That's my gift and my curse. When you bring a Cam Newton to your facility, to your franchise, people are interested. Mac Jones didn't beat me out, but I would have been a distraction knowing that if he gave him, if they gave him the starting role, they knew the perception that would have had if the success didn't come. So, Ethan, uh, on two separate levels, First question, do you really believe that Mac Jones did not beat him out? And on the second level, do you think that a team would sign Cam considering, like he said, he is a bit of a distraction? Okay. Um, to answer the first question, I definitely believe Mac Jones beat Cam Newton out. Um, you know, it was reports that Mac Jones was helping Cam learn the playbook. And Mac Jones is a rookie, and Cam Newton is a, I want to say, 10-year, or even close to 10-year event. Yeah, going on his 10th year. Um. Also, if you watch the preseason, which I watched, maybe I watched one Patriots preseason game, when Mac Jones was in the huddle and he was running the offense, it looked a whole lot smoother and it looked a whole lot cleaner. Like you stated before, we just, I just think, and I agree with you where I think that their offense works better if you're just a pure pocket passer because you need accuracy and you need timing. And those were the things that Matt Jones provided for the offense that Cam honestly didn't do. Um, as far as the whole, do I think another team will sign him even though he's a distraction? I do. I think it's going to. And the reason I say this is I think in order for a team to sign Cam, they're going to have to have their guy already in place. Case in point, the Dallas Cowboys. Like, yes, we know that, you know, Dak had his, in, his injury concerns going into the start of the season. But that game Thursday, he looked amazing. Like, that press guy, it's a known fact that he's the guy. If you insert Cam Newton into that locker room, all of that whole, um, like, distraction, confusion, um, we we love Cam. Like they will be embraced with at the same token, that Chris got for last the same type of energy. Like all of his teammates in Dallas love him. And it's a known fact that that, that Chris got is the main. I think the only way that Cam would truly be a distraction in any locker room is if it's a locker room that's in flux, that doesn't have a definitive starting quarterback. So I think he'll be signed, honestly. Yeah, I'm definitely calling shenanigans on he didn't get beaten out. I feel like had he not gotten beaten out, he would still be the starting quarterback for the New England Patriots. He would still be on the roster. Um, And I'm sure because he mentioned also that he wouldn't mind of being a backup. But realistically, I think that while, yes, Cam would have been a bit of a distraction, I think that – I don't think that the Patriots are one of those teams where they let the outside noise filter in. Because if you are one of those teams, you're not going to have the dynasty that they've had over the past, what, 20 years, 18 to 20 years. You don't have that success. So I feel like even if some news uh, pundits wanted to, you know, mention Cam being a backup or maybe compare him and Mac Jones, I don't think that's something that Bill Belichick would really let get into his players' heads. So I don't really think that that was more so the reason why he got cut. Like you mentioned, like I just think he got outplayed. I think that Mac Jones Jones fits the system and fits what the Patriots want to do better than Cam does. And 
they've already seen what Cam could do as a starting quarterback, and it wasn't good. And so why attach yourself to that when you can have your starter of the future there and you can save money in the process? Because, I mean, it's not like Cam was signed to some crazy deal. I think it was like a one-year, like, $6 million around that range deal he signed. So it wasn't like they had so much money invested in him. It was pretty much a backup quarterback um, salary anyway. And then with regards to Cam getting signed, I totally agree with you about if he goes to a team that already has their quarterback, it's not a conversation. Like, Dallas – we know it's Dak's team, barring he gets hurt. Whereas, like, a team like Washington, we know that Ryan Fitzpatrick is the man right now, but Ryan Fitzpatrick, while he has those moments of magic, there's also times when it's like he's not even there. And then you have Tyler Tyler Heineke, who showed flashes, but is still an unfinished product. You bring Cam in there, then, yeah, it'll be confusion. So with regards to him being distraction, like you said, I think it really just depends on where he goes. But all right, let's go ahead and play a quick game of Believable or Buffoonery and then get to some predictions. Starting off with my main man, Devin White. Y'all know I love me some Dev. He gave some major props to the Saints team from a year ago. He said, a great team that I say if they beat us in the playoffs, they win the Super Bowl because it was that great of a team. Believable or Buffoonery. Had the Saints beaten the Bucks in the division round, they would have won last year's Super Bowl. I'm calling Buffoonery. I actually think it's some belief, some believability in it, and the reason I say this is because they they were the more complete team out of all the teams that were left in the playoffs, outside of the Bucks. Like they had a great, they had a good, they had a really good defense, very similar to the Bucks. They had good, they had good pass rushers, very similar to the Bucks, and it was hard to run the ball against them as well. That presents the same. Factors that the books did. I think the difference is I don't know what the Saints' offensive, how they would look on the offensive side of the ball. Um, it was questions, you know, Drew Brees is at that point where it's like, can he throw? And he really didn't look like he was an accurate passer anymore. But I could see that defense potentially carrying him. Very similar to, honestly, the books' defense did a lot of the dirty work. In the Super Bowl against the Chiefs, it just got overshadowed by the fact that the offense scored 31 points. I'm going to call buffoonery on that just because by that point, like the division around, like it was clear, like the deterioration of Drew Brees was on full display. And we knew he had been battling injuries that whole year, but that was a rough game. And so you expect him to get better, and then you go up against the Packers because let's say everything worked out the way that it did. If if I'm picking between a quarterback duel between the two, at least with Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, yes, we feel like Aaron is better, but it's much more of a competition. Whereas with Drew Brees at that point where he was this past season, oh, yeah, I think the Packers would have blew them the hell out. And while the Saints do have a nice pass rush, it's mainly coming from the likes of Trey Hendrickson and um, Cam Jordan. And while that's great, you have a team like the Bucks who have pressure coming from everywhere. And I think that that would be a big difference with regards to going up against the Packers because we could definitely make the argument that offensively a reason why they had a hard time getting going was because Aaron Rodgers had no time to throw. And I think that the Bucks' offense, I mean, pass rush is much better than the Saints to where it could really distract Rodgers, where I feel like Aaron would have been able to maneuver. And not to mention, I just don't think that the Bucks, I mean, the Saints would have had that much ease scoring on the Packers' defense. Like, Jair Alexander had a tremendous game against the Bucks, and then, yeah, Kevin King got beat. But realistically, I don't see um, 
I don't see Drew Brees making those same throws that Tom made. Like, I don't think he would be able to make that deep throw to Scotty Miller. And no disrespect to him, but just with where Drew Brees was. So, I'm calling buffoonery. I don't think that the Saints would have been able to do it. But last week, we kind of talked about how much Tony Romo sees in Zach Wilson. And he got even bolder in his latest quote. He said, I think Zach Wilson is going to be in the conversation as one of the top three to five quarterbacks very quickly. It's rare for me to say someone has the ability to get in the stratosphere of Mahomes, but I think this kid has that ability. Believable or buffoonery, three years time from now, Zach Wilson will be considered one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, at least for the time being, I'm going to say buffoonery simply because this man hasn't played a down of NFL football in a regular season. Like, yeah, this is what he did in the preseason. It's, it looks amazing. He had he had a really great preseason. But in the preseason, a lot of people know that the, the defensive schemes that happen in the preseason are the same defensive schemes that are happening in the regular season. Um, you don't see that many blitzes in the preseason simply because guys are not trying to tip their hand to what they run in the regular season. And kind of more or less like in the preseason, guys just run plays. There's no real game plan behind it. Whereas, you know, you still put in the regular season, who's to say he looks the same way that he looks in the preseason when you have a team like, um, let's say, the Pittsburgh Steelers, they send in exotic blitz. Is he going to be able to read that blitz? Is he going to be able to find his high reading and make the play that you need? You don't know. Yeah, I agree with you for everything you said. I'm also going buffoonery. Now, one player that we know is not a buffoon is T.J. Watt. And while I was hoping that the Steelers would not be able to keep him, they did. They signed the man to a four-year, $112 million extension with 80 mil guaranteed. He is now the highest paid defensive player in the NFL. While that's pretty much just the tide of defense, pretty much the next contract is bound to be bigger than the other. There was some interesting comments made by Big Ben about his team's star pass rusher, to which he said, I think TJ should get whatever the heck he wants. He's arguably the best player in the game right now, not just on defense, but in general. Believable or buffoonery, TJ Watt is has an argument to be named the best player in the league. I'm calling buffoonery because he's still not even the best defensive player, but he's the bomb. Yeah, I'm definitely calling buffoonery because he isn't, like you say, he isn't the best player on the defensive side of the ball. That goes to Aaron Donald. And, like, if you look at the, just going by, if you look at the NFL Top 100 this past year, I think T.J. Watt was somewhere between the 8 and 10 range, whereas Aaron Donald was, I think, in the top four. I think it was two. Yeah, he was somewhere in the top five, I know for a fact. But T.J. Watt is an amazing player. He he can be considered, he definitely is considered, in my opinion, one of the top 10 best players. But top players, no. Yeah, no. Like, like I said, you're not even better than Aaron Donald, which nobody is, and that's okay. But if you're not on Aaron Donald's level or surpass him, I can't call him the best player in the league. But, all right, Sunday Night Football is going to be the Los Angeles Rams versus the uh, Chicago Bears. And while we already know that Andy Dalton is primed to be the Bears' starting quarterback, 
Um, Sean McVay was asked about game planning for Justin Fields and said, I think it would be naive for us not to prepare to see Justin Fields. Believable or buffoonery, we will see Justin Fields on the field at some point on Sunday night. other reason but I do believe that Andy's the starter and also do you really want your rookie quarterback's first game against Aaron Donald and then on the back end you got Jalen Ramsey back there that that's just a recipe for disaster so yeah I'm calling buffoonery all right let's take things to Philly for a bit um Philadelphia Eagles general manager Howie Roseman did a interview with 94 whip um, and was asked if he could select Jalen Hurts, would he make that decision again? To which he replied, we love Carson, but we played six playoff games and we've needed our backup quarterback in all of them. Believable or buffoonery, Carson Wentz is to blame for his inability to stay healthy in, F- in Philly. Uh, it's hard to put blame on somebody's health. Like, especially in a sport so violent as football, um, I'm going to say postponery simply because it's, it's a violent sport. Like, you know, they could, Carson Wentz could have made all the right plays. He could have did all the things to try to stay healthy. But all it takes is one hit. And who's to say, like, it's the team's fault, like, the team could have blocked half of the best on um, pass protection. But all it takes is one hit. I'm not, I'm in the belief of like, it's nobody's fault as far as health goes because it's just something that you can't like, you can't control your health. Like you can't control being hit and you breaking your ankle. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm also calling buffoonery. I mean, like you mentioned, it you can't control your health, but it also doesn't help that you have a bad offensive line that for most of your time there cannot stay upright. And it's kind of wild that, like, Roseman would even kind of insinuate that because, yeah, sure, I understand needing a backup, but it's like it's not Carson Wentz's fault. It's not like he wants to get hurt. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm calling buffoonery. All right, last piece. We're keeping it in Philly, and we're talking T.O., who was always a character. Uh, he recently did an interview talking about former teammate and, most notably, his quarterback, uh, Donovan McNabb. And said, I'd knock him out because there'll be so much pent up. I'd be controlled. It'd be controlled anger. I'd be like a Navy SEAL. They're cool and calm under all conditions. But there'll be a fire burning inside of me. I'd knock Chunky Soup from him from 2004. Believable or buffoonery, if T.O. and Donovan McNabb got in a fight right now, T.O. would win. 
Jack, ex-football players you've never seen. And if I recall correctly, Dominic McNabb, after he retired, he let himself go pretty bad. And I understand at all times, like, you know, physical shape doesn't necessarily um, depict the way a fight's going to go. You know, I'm a UFC fan. I watched Roy Nelson fight, and he was not in the best of shape. But he won fights every now and then. But I definitely think the T.O. will win against Donovan McNabb. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. All right. Let's go ahead and move on. It's time to make our predictions for season awards. And then we're going to close out with our Super Bowl predictions. So starting things off with Coach of the Year, not going to lie. I'm going to go with Bill Belichick. I think that Bill Belichick is going to show everyone why the Patriots are a team that cannot be slept on. I think that Mac Jones has a Tom Brady-esque way to his game. And I think that that's when the Patriots strive the most. Whenever they have the ability to have a pocket passer who can dissect the defense without having to do too much movement, that is when they play the best. And I think that with the Patriots sneaking into the playoffs as a wild card team, I think that that gives Bill Belichick this award. Um... Comeback player of the year, who you got? Basic answer, I had somebody else, but realistically, I do think it's going to end up going to Dak Prescott. While I'm not the biggest, like, I'm not that sold on what the Cowboys are going to do this year, I do think that Dak Prescott, especially once he plays a bad secondary and with the weapons he has, even with Michael Gallup being out, I think that he'll be able to still dissect him and put together an overall solid year. Will it parlay to a whole bunch of wins? I don't think so, but at least it'll be a nice redemption story, especially coming off of the injuries of last year. All right, moving on to defensive rookie of the year. I know he didn't have the best debut on Thursday, but I'm still riding the Michael Parsons bandwagon. He has so many intangibles and traits that I like in a linebacker, and I do think that as he gets more comfortable in the defense and better understands his responsibilities, I think that he is really going to become a star. We saw on Thursday he was moved. He was using the pass rush. He was moved out in coverage as well as being the run stuffer. He was all over the field, and I think that as he continues to get more accustomed to the NFL speed and that role, I think that he's going to do some big things and be the defensive rookie of the year. Yeah, I'm, also, I'm in agreement with you on the Michael Parsons bandwagon. I, I think for him as far as game one, he honestly was just put in a really bad situation where he played against arguably one of the, in a lot of people's opinion, the 
just a niche in the whole game. So I watched basically the whole game. And it was like literally as soon as you will see um Michael get in coverage, you will see Grunt like slowly try past him and Tom to get him for a pass across the middle of the field. I think once he gets like you said, once he gets adjusted to the NFL speed and just adjusted to the NFL, to the defensive scheme that he's in, I think he's gonna um uh All right, offensive rookie of the year. Who you got? Offensive rookie of the year. Uh, I'm going Trevor Lawrence. I think that he's going to he he's going to put he's not going to win that many games, but I think he's going to put up some really good numbers in Jacksonville. Yes, I know that they can't block, but you know a lot of these quarterbacks that get drafted to teams first overall, their teams can't block, and they put up good numbers. So. I think he's going to continue that trend. I'm going to go Mac Jones. I mentioned when I talked about Bill Belichick how I think the Patriots make the playoffs, and I do think that the return of a pocket passer in New England is going to do wonders for this team. And I think that while Mac Jones is not the most exciting or necessarily the most fun quarterback to watch at all times, I think that he will still be able to get the job done. And I think that if he can lead the Patriots to the playoffs, that would kind of speak more volumes than Trevor Lawrence or maybe a Zach Wilson throwing for a lot of yards. So I'll go Mac. All right, now defensive player of the year. I understand that Aaron Donald is a bad man, but by golly, T.J. Watt was robbed last year, and I think that they right the wrong this year, and he finally gets his first defensive player of the year award. I could definitely see it. All right. Who do you have for Offensive Player of the Year? This was probably the hardest one for me to pick. Offensive Player of the Year. Uh, I'm going DeAndre Hopkins. I'm going to go Christian McCaffrey. Um, with the additions to the Panthers' offense, ranging from Sam Darnold, and then you have Terrace Marshall. I think that their offense is, has potential to be really high-powered. And while we know their passing game is – going to really hinge on Sam Darnold. We know that Christian McCaffrey is going to get his regardless of what's going to happen. And I think that with that being said, he's really going to be able to showcase his abilities, especially because defense is going to have to prioritize the pass because Sam Darnold is liable to sling it. And I think that especially if he can use this as a bounce back year, it can be a really nice year for their offense, meaning a lot more opportunities for Christian McCaffrey. And not going to lie to you, as I was talking, I realized I probably should have said Alvin Kamara, but I'm going to stick with CMC. All right, and then finally, MVP. This was another tough one. I don't want to go with somebody who's already won it before, but honestly, I think Patrick Mahomes comes away with his second MVP. Yeah, I think this is going to be revenge season for Mahomes. I think that given the fact that, you know, he didn't win it this past year and how how embarrassing they lost in the Super Bowl, I think he's going to come back with a vengeance. Also, adding in the fact that they did some major upgrades on their offensive line, I think it's his for the losing, honestly. Yeah, I'd agree with that. All right, now, Super Bowl predictions, like we always do, Give your realistic prediction and then the game you want to see and who wins. Okay, realistic prediction is the Chiefs versus the 
Chiefs versus Bucks. Yeah, that's what I got too. But this time I got the uh, Chiefs winning. Yeah, me too. Um, Dream matchup: Titans versus the. Who would I want them to play in the Super Bowl if I had a choice? I'm surprised you're not saying the Bears. See, I would say them, but I know it's, I know this too far out of reality. I mean, this is like if you could pick the Super Bowl teams. All right, well, yeah, Titans versus Bears. Who wins? Titans. Of course. Um, this was tough because normally I would go with like, of course, Baltimore, and I would say the Bucks because you know back in the Jameis days I was a Bucks fan, and then the Lions because I was a Lions apologist, but Matthew Stafford is gone now. But you, by golly, I still know it. No, no, I'm gonna say Saints. I want to see Ravens versus the Saints mainly because I want to see Jameis shut down the doubters, and of course he's gonna lose the Super Bowl, but. Him going to the Super Bowl would show that he was still that dude. He's just not going to win. All right, now, let's go ahead and backtrack a little bit, make things a bit more small picture. Let's do week one game picks, starting off with the Philadelphia Eagles versus the Atlanta Falcons. I got Eagles. I got Falcons. Carolina Panthers playing host to the New York Jets. I got Panthers. I think Sam Donald has a nice revenge game. Yeah, I got Panthers too. Los Angeles Chargers taking on the Washington football team. I got Chargers. I got football team. San Francisco 49ers versus the Detroit Lions. I know Jared Goff has faith in his team. I don't. I got 49ers. Yeah, I got 49ers. Uh, Buffalo Bills versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. I got Bills. Yeah, I got Seattle Seahawks versus the Indianapolis Colts. I know that Carson Wentz is supposed to be playing. I don't care. I got Seahawks. Yeah, I got Seahawks, too. Minnesota Vikings versus the Cincinnati Bengals, a.k.a. an LSU reunion. My heart is tied in multiple different places, but I see the Vikings getting the win because they're the better overall team. Yeah, Minnesota. Jacksonville Jaguars versus the Houston Texans. I'm going Jags, but this is going to be an ugly game. Tennessee Titans uh, hosting the Arizona Cardinals. This will definitely be a test for your defense, but I got Titans. I got Titans. Uh, New England Patriots taking on the Miami Dolphins. I got Patriots. I got Dolphins. Denver Broncos versus the New York Giants. This is a, this was tough for me because I think they're pretty equally matched, but I'm going to go Broncos. Uh, okay, Green Bay Packers versus the New Orleans Saints. I want, or not want, but I got Packers. I got Packers. Kansas City Chiefs versus the Cleveland Browns. I got Chiefs. Chiefs. Los Angeles Rams versus the Chicago Bears. I got Rams. Rams. All right, and Monday Night Football, my Baltimore Ravens heading to Vegas to take on the Raiders. Who you got? I got the I got the Raiders. Just making sure. All right, so before we could go to the NBA segment of the show, let's uh, backtrack to Thursday night game. As we all know, I always do my um, game takeaways in the same thing, so that will be coming out next Tuesday. But in the meantime, Ethan, what were your takeaways from Thursday night's game? My takeaways are um, Tom Brady looks, still looks like he can play – Really effective football. 
far as being a complete premier running back in the NFL. Um, I saw some growing pains from Michael Parsons, especially in pass coverage. And I think that the Cowboys need a new kicker. That's the obvious out of all of them. Yeah, Greg Zerline is. While he has a big leg, his accuracy has consistently been a problem. Um, I'm just going to give a brief one. Offense, uh, well, for the Cowboys, I'm going to say the trust for Zeke is gone. The fact you only give this man 11 carries, including like only four in the first half, that's ridiculous. And I feel like there were opportunities for them to get yard, rushing yards. I mean, the fact that Dak had what? How many times did he throw the ball? What, 50 times? 58. 58 times? I don't care who you're going against. If you're having your quarterback throw that many times, that's going to be a problem. And then for the Bucs, um, my takeaway was it's going to be a very long season if their pass rush can't get it going because their secondary was not necessarily good last year, but we're really seeing that they were getting picked apart. Um, so, yeah, those are my takeaways. All right, so per usual, let's talk the offensive, defensive, rookie to watch, and team we are calling out for week one, starting on the offensive side of the ball, I'm calling out, I'm not calling out, but I'm looking forward to watching my main man, Joe Burrow, coming off that torn ACL. Every signs include he's going to be um, able to play with no limitations against the Vikings. Pretty solid offense around him. I'm excited to see what he does at the start of his second year in the league. Defensively, I tried to go a different way, but I'm not going to. Patrick Peterson, his first game as a Minnesota Viking, an opportunity to show he still has a lot left in the tank. And also, fellow LSU Tiger Jamar Chase was talking crap. He said he wanted to put him on a highlight tape, and I'm excited to see him try. So, yeah, of course, I got to go with my main man, P2. Um, I'm going to say – I'm going to say Miles Garrett against the Kansas City Chiefs simply because we know that in order for the Browns to beat the Chiefs, they're going to have to get to Patrick Mahomes. Their best chance at getting at Patrick Mahomes is if Miles Garrett has a big game, which I think he probably will. Um, for me, uh, talking rookies to watch, I mentioned, I just said his name. I'm going to say Jamar Chase. We talked about the issues with the drops and how he'll be able to get accustomed to the league. I'm hoping that, you know, he'll be able to kind of get more comfortable as the game goes on and really will have the opportunity to showcase why he was the fifth overall pick and why the Bengals made the right decision. I'm not expecting him to have, like, a crazy game out the gate, but I am excited to see what he can do in his first bit of real NFL action. Um, for me, I will say, I'm going to say Kyle Pitts simply because I think that this is going to be the game that can help establish him and build and kind of affirm that hype that he was giving early in the offseason. You know, he's a guy that a lot of people put a lot of high praise on. And in the preseason, he was one of the rookies that really didn't show anything that matched the hype that he received. So I'm going to take, I want to look at him and see how he actually performs. 
All right, and I know it's early in the season, but that doesn't mean a team cannot get called out. So I'm calling out my Baltimore Ravens. Yes, injuries have been kicking our butt this past week, but you know what? We're going to do what the Ravens do, and that is play like a Raven. While I respect the Raiders as a team that can potentially be a trap game, this is a game that on paper we should win. We have the better overall roster. There is really nobody on the Raiders' defense, excluding Yannick Ngakwe and KJ Wright, who I really have a, I'm not going to say fear, but I really respect, and Jonathan Abram. But other than that, I don't really think that they should be too much of a problem. I don't see anybody in that secondary stopping Lamar, and especially if these receivers are able to do what they're supposed to do. This should be a win. I'm calling out my my Ravens. Yeah, I'm also calling out my Titans simply because uh, very similar reasons. On paper, this is a game that we should win. I'm not going to say easily, but this is a game that we should win. The Arizona Cardinals, they don't have any, they don't have any secondary outside of Bluebeck, like I stated earlier. And offensively, they don't really have anybody outside of Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins. Like, their running back is James Conner. I don't think he's he's that good of a running back anymore. They don't really have a true secondary wide receiver outside of D-Hop. You don't believe in A.J. Green? Crap, no. Uh, but I think that, you know, if we're able to play the type of football that has been said that we're going to play, like, I want to see us play physically. I want to see this challenge to our receivers. I'm tired. I got tired of last season seeing third and seven, and we're in off coverage, and you just basically give somebody the first down. Like I want to see receivers challenged by our corners. I want to see the deep line get after the quarterback. I want to see people get smacked in the mouth. So I'm calling out the Titans. All right, fair enough. All right, let's head over to the NBA. And first things first, let's con- con- uh, extend our congratulations to the 2021. Hall of Fame class, which includes Nick uh, Rick Edelman, Chris Bosh, Elonda Griffith, Lauren Jackson, Paul Pierce, who I will admit is a fine basketball player, but a scrub of a human being, Bill Russell, and this time he's getting inducted as a coach, and Ben Wallace and Chris Weber, as well as Jay Wright. Congratulations to all you guys. Congratulations, great careers, blah, blah, blah. Paul Pierce is still a scrub, and he really thought he was Kobe. But I hate to break it to you. They don't love you like that. But congratulations to him. All right, so let's go ahead talk the Lakers trade. Kyle Kuzma, we knew he wasn't going to be a Laker going into this next season. He knew it too. And in a recent interview, he discussed what life was like this offseason as well as fully thinking that he was going to be in Sacramento. Um, In a recent interview, he said, I was kind of shocked because I thought I was going to sack. Like the Sacramento deal with Buddy Hill, that shit was done. So I'm thinking in my head, okay, sack is a 45-minute flight. That's not bad. I can go to Napa. So looking back, and I hate to be one of those people, but for the sake of conversation, do you think that the Lakers will regret not going after a player like Buddy Hield and instead making that trade for Russell Westbrook? Uh, I'm going to say yes, and no. Uh, the reason I say yes is because Buddy Hield is the type of player that fits what you need around LeBron and Anthony Davis. You need spot up. You need guys that can make shots, preferably three point shots. And Buddy Hill is one of the better three 
Yeah, sometimes it might cost you a turnover or a boneheaded play. But he's relentless. He's a guy that you can have in a locker room that people in their locker room will listen to outside of LeBron. And I mean, honestly, I think his play style, this is relentlessness can fit in to an extent because I think he will be the guy to get people charged up, especially for bigger games. Yeah, I'm... I know I talk about how I don't like the fit for Russ with the Lakers, but I will say that I feel like even if they did trade for Buddy Hill, they would still need significantly more to really be considered like a contender. Like, I'll say this. If they would have traded for Buddy Hill instead and made the other roster moves that they did, I wouldn't – I don't think that makes them a better team than trading for Russ. So in that retrospect, I think that the Russ move was good for, like, everything you said. Like, you get that veteran presence, you have that fire, you get somebody who was hungry to really produce. Whereas with Buddy Hill, you know he's going to come in and he's going to be that spot-up shooter and he'll be a solid, you know, two-guard. But realistically, no one's really expecting him to just go off or take over a game the way that we know that Russell Westbrook could. So realistically, I don't think that they will regret not making that trade. But in terms of being a better fit, Buddy Hill definitely was the better fit. Speaking of things being a fit, um, like we mentioned, Paul Pierce is about to be inducted into the NBA Hall of Fame. Well, the Basketball Hall of Fame. And Mark Cuban uh, recently came to light about a trade that nearly took place um, back in 2007. He said, we had a three-way trade done. All the teams agreed to their part of the deal. When we get on the trade call, the third team killed the deal because they didn't know that a first was going to the Celtics. They chose not to do the deal at all. So this ended up negating a potential trade for Paul Pierce to go to the Mavericks. Let's say Paul Pierce did end up with the Mavs. Would they have won a ring? I say no. No. Yeah, what happened? Not out of the West. Like, I think that the best thing that ever happened to Paul Pierce was staying with the Celtics and getting KG, Ray Allen, Rondo, getting those guys around him. Because while we all know Dirk Nowitzki was great, the rest of that team did not necessarily have the depth to really be able to compete. And this was also about a year prior to Kobe going freaking insane and then going to the finals, pretty much drudging his team by himself. So, yeah, realistically, no, I don't think that they would have got a ring. All right, let's go ahead and play a game of believable or buffoonery. The Memphis Grizzlies just cannot keep them hand, their hands to themselves and continues to make trades. Most recently, um, the Lakers traded Marcus All and a 2024 second-round pick to the Grizzlies for draft rights to Wayne Zeeland. Now, despite on paper returning to Memphis, Gasol and the team will negotiate a buyout for Gasol to remain in Spain with his family. So, believable or buffoonery, Mark Gasol's career as an NBA player is over. It's believable. Before he got picked up by the Lakers this past season, he said that he wanted to continue his career in Spain. The only reason he went to the Lakers is because of LeBron. And now that that's over, he's not playing another guy in the NBA. Yeah, I call it believable as well, especially just because, I mean, he got his ring. He's done quite a bit in the NBA. I don't think he really has anything else to prove. And especially with his play style, I don't think that it necessarily would not, – not say it wouldn't fit with another team, but it's not like he would see significant minutes. Whereas if he can go to Spain and where truthfully him and Powell could play forever if they really wanted to. So, yeah, I think his career is over. And I think just like we saw with Zebo and Tony Allen, the Grizzlies will be retiring his jersey pretty soon. 
All right, continuing on with the topic of jersey retirements, uh, somebody on Twitter posed the question of, should the Raptors retire DeMar DeRozan's jersey? To which LeBron responded, that's a real question, LOL. Absolutely, they should. Um, as of right now, DeMar DeRozan is the Raptors' all-time leading scorer and has played the most games as a Raptor. So, believable or buffoonery, the Raptors will retire his number 10 jersey. Believable. DeMar DeRozan is, I know that the argument will be made for Kyle Lowry because he won the championship, but in my personal opinion, DeMar DeRozan is the greatest Raptor of all time, and his jersey will be retired. I agree. I think it should be retired, and especially considering how bad they parted ways, I think that to res- show respect to somebody who has done so much for your organization, a jersey retirement would definitely be in the cards. All right, let's talk some Ben Simmons. We get it. He doesn't want to go back to Philly, but in the words of the Big Diesel, a.k.a. Shaq, he says that kid's got to get better. Um, in a recent uh, interview with, well, on his podcast, the big podcast with Shaq, he said, Ben Simmons, you're you're not that good. And in this league, you want to be good or do you want to be great? You're not great. But if you want to get to the next level, you have to be great. And to be great, you have to work on your game. Don't be putting pictures on your IG of your Ferrari or what actress you're hanging around. When you play for a hardworking town, they don't give a shit about that. So, believable or buffoonery? Ben Simmons' game will evolve once he gets a change of scenery. I think it will. I think that... I think he will go wherever team trades with him in a few situations where he feels wanted. I think he doesn't feel wanted in Philadelphia anymore. And it's reflecting by the way that he's holding out and just the overall mannerisms. If you... Very similar to the, like, say, Zebo. He, the Clippers didn't want him. He went to Memphis. He went to a team that showed that they wanted him, and he changed his career around. So I definitely think if he goes to a team that shows like they genuinely want Ben Simmons, he is going to evolve because he will feel wanted. I would agree with that. I believe, I would call believable in that, too. I mean, if... It's one thing to, like, have, like, you know, casual fans or whatever on people on social media, like, giving you crap. But, like, I don't – one of their local news stations literally compared that man to trash on live TV. And you think he – and you think he wants to go back there? Man, screw Philly. And I'm not even a 76ers or a Ben Simmons fan. Man, screw y'all. That was disrespectful. Uh, But, yeah, so, no. Hard no for me. Um, with regards to wanting to be back in Philly. I understand why he doesn't want to go back, and I understand why they don't want to keep him. Um, So, yeah, I do think a change of scenery, like, everybody performs better when they feel wanted, when they feel like people genuinely believe in them. And so I think that once he gets in a situation like that, his game will evolve. I'm not on the Stephen A. Smith bandwagon to think he's going to become like LeBron 2.0, but I do think that he will show why he was considered one of – the best first round, first overall picks in some time. But uh, according to Nick Wright on uh, courtesy of FS1, he thinks that that change of scenery should be Brooklyn. He said, as someone who has shorted the stock of the Nets, I'm telling you right now, Ben for Kyrie basketball-wise will make so much sense for Brooklyn. So, believable or buffoonery, a Kyrie-Ben Simmons swap would be best for both the 76ers and the Nets. I'm calling buffoonery. I'm calling him a phonery simply because I think if you trade Kyrie for Ben Simmons, that benefits one side drastically. Yeah. If you trade Kyrie with Joel and B, 
be in their bones. He'll be, I think this could be one of the most dangerous one-two punches in the NBA. Um, if you put Ben Simmons on the um, on the Nets, he I'm not going to say he's a role player, but he's not necessarily going to be a star. I think he'll be a guy that you'll plug into the power forward spot. He'll be very similar to Draymond Green, minus the jump shot. Yeah, and I think that, honestly, we just saw there was a problem once, you know, uh, Harden and Kyrie went down, that it was just KD. He had to do everything offensively, and considering the postseason we literally just saw from Ben Simmons, is that really what you bring want to bring in? Because I don't think – we just talked about when you feel wanted, you play better. Well, in that situation, you're easily the third option, but even then it's like a distant third option. And so I think that for Ben Simmons, I think that he would probably thrive best going to a team that honestly does not have many expectations where he can be their best player because in Brooklyn he would not be that. And pretty much to echo what you said about combining Kyrie and Joel Embiid, I think that would be a great great duo, especially if they can both stay healthy. But all right, last piece, we're sticking in Brooklyn. We always hear the talks about, oh, such and such wouldn't survive in this era, blah, blah, blah. We've heard it with LeBron before, and now we are currently hearing it about Kevin Durant. Rasheed Wallace uh, said this of KD via the million dollars worth of game, said, no, I don't think KD would have been would have had too much success. Now he's a monster. In this era, he's a monster. So let's take it back, let's say 15 years. KD's in the league. Would he thrive? Yes. Yeah, I agree. I mean, but, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, he's seven foot, he can handle the rock, and he can shoot. That translates to any, like, I feel like that translates to any era. I think the only thing that would be any hindrance to him is that game is way more physical. And, but I mean, with his perimeter game, he doesn't, with his height and his athleticism and his jumper, he doesn't have to even take the ball to the basket. He can literally shoot over everybody. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think, like you mentioned, I mean, scoring translate. If you can score, you can score. I think that the only thing that really probably would, if he meant, like, in terms of, like, being mentally tough, and how much trash talk or, like you said, the physicality of the players back then. And let's say he made a similar decision to when he went to the Warriors. I feel like that probably would have been tougher just because every player would get on your head about it and be more ruthless about it as opposed to today's NBA where everybody's more friendly. But as a player, I mean, KD would be fine. But that's our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please be sure to check out TheXReport.net. I repeat, TheXReport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow X-Report writers. Before we close out this bad boy, Ethan, you got anything you want to say? Go Tigers, go. Tighten up. And uh, I hope James you get the W. I'm going to say go Tigers because last week, no. Uh, go Tigers, go, of course. And go Ravens. I'm excited. Ravens flock. First game of the season. Even though, let's be honest, I still think the Chiefs win it all. Damn it, we're going to compete. We're going to fight. And at the very least, we're not going to lose to the Browns twice. But thank you guys so much for listening. And we will see you all next time.